Hello, this is Blake Vanger, Parish Catechist at St. Peter Catholic Church. I'm re-recording my talk that I gave last night on discerning your spiritual gifts or charisms. Our Facebook Live audio did not come through. We're still having a little bit of difficulties. Let's just say I'm not very gifted in audio and visual technologies. Uh, so we wanted to at least recapture what I shared last night. So if you appreciate the picture format, but this is going to be published also in audio only, which I might appreciate. It's a little bit weird talking to a webcam. But to begin here, this session, I wanted to read our reflection from Romans 12. So if you join me in lifting our hearts to God and asking being asking the Holy Spirit to be filled by Him, let us begin here in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I, Paul, appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For as in one body we have many members, and all the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, he who teaches in his teaching, he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who contributes in liberality, he who gives aid with zeal, he who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Let love be genuine, hate what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Holy Spirit, we ask you and we invite you right now to come enlighten our minds so that we may know the Father's will for us. We ask that you open our ears and close our lips so that we can hear Jesus calling. And we ask that you come inflame our hearts with your love and zeal so that all that we think, say, and do might be for the greater glory of God. We ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus, our Savior, who we love and adore. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Amen. So I love athletics, and uh, as I begin to think about how do we discern our gifts, uh, the sport of football actually came to mind. And so as you're watching this, as you're listening, I want you to think at least in your head, Okay, where did Tom Brady play his college football? Do you know it? What round was he drafted in the NFL? How about that one? 
Tom Brady was a sixth-round draft pick out of the University of Michigan. He didn't have the most impressive physique or skills. He was somewhat successful in college, but it wasn't like he was a Heisman Trophy winner. It wasn't also that the Patriots thought he was going to be the direct answer to any quarterback problems that they had. They mainly drafted him to be a backup to Drew Bledsoe, and maybe he would work out to be QB1 in the future. But both Brady and himself, as well as the Patriots, saw something that could be of value to the organization. And Brady had a belief in himself that he could be a great quarterback. All it took was an injury to Drew Bledsoe in 2001 for Brady to get the start of his infamous NFL career. Bledsoe was injured. Brady stepped in, eventually led the Patriots to winning the Super Bowl that year. And so he capitalized on an opportunity. As we think about ourselves here being members of the church, we are all on one team in the church as the body of Christ. We all have different positions to play. As we've gone throughout this whole series, we see we don't all have the same gifts. Some of us are linemen. Some of us are going to be quarterbacks. Some of us are going to be defensive backs. But in a sense, I do want to invite us to think that we are all quarterbacks of receiving the Father's love and then passing on that love to others through the various gifts he has given us for his ministry and the building up of the church. I propose four types of discerners of their spiritual gifts, but in order, before we break into the meat of these spiritual realities, I wanted to paint a picture with some analogies from sports and use football draft picks. So I typically think that there's four types of NFL quarterbacks that get drafted. The first one is someone who's clearly gifted. They come in, they're a first round draft pick, they're drafted high, they step into an organization, and they have great success right to begin with. An example of this might be John Elway. He had a few rough years, I'm a huge Broncos fan, as you might see my Broncos stuff in the back. But generally, he had good success, he was successful at what he did, maybe not winning Super Bowls right away, but he played the game at a very high level. Then there's an opportunity taker. This is a draft pick that takes advantage of an opportunity, whether it's a player being injured or a player being traded away, and they still study the game, they practice, they learn, and they receive coaching in order to become successful. So Tom Brady could be an example of this, as well as Colin Kaepernick, um, if you remember when he took over for Alex Smith. Opportunity struck, and he made the most of it for a few seasons. Then we have individuals that are hidden gems. These are the late round draft picks or even undrafted players that are uncovered by a coaching staff by developing their skills, seeing in them something others couldn't see. And the QBs also put in their work, continue to be diligent and study and practice to become successful. Maybe one of the best examples of this is Kurt Warner. Kind of came out of nowhere in order to become a very successful NFL quarterback. Then finally, we also have some examples of hard learners. These are the draft picks that come to learn that they can't rely on just their skills or abilities, and they have to reevaluate where their gifts lie through practice, 
study and receiving coaching in order to become successful. And at the worst end of this situation of a hard learner is the bust. Someone who doesn't actually put in the work to put their gifts to use and ends up flaming out of the NFL, which can happen when we try to implore our spiritual gifts without actually discerning them as well as letting our ego get in the way. An example of this could be like Brett Favre. He was had to reevaluate the way that he played the game, but in a sense, once he learned where his strengths lie and where he needed to focus his energies, he became a very successful quarterback. So us in our spiritual lives, as we approach discerning our spiritual gifts, we are too like, in a sense, the four quarterback types. Some of us clearly know our gifts and how the Lord is inviting us to use them. So think to yourself, did you get your results and say, oh yeah, clear and above, these are my spiritual gifts and they're active in my life. Maybe some of you had that experience where you knew clearly and it was clearly evident, like these are my gifts. Some of us just need the opportunity to discover our gifts. So this is the second type and put them to use how the Lord is calling us to. So maybe if you fit in this category, you received the results of your inventory and you said, wow, I never thought about having that specific gift, but you know, maybe it's right. Maybe I just need an opportunity to put it to use. Then we have some diligent seekers that need to study, pray, discern their gifts while seeking the aid and counsel of others to uncover our gifts and begin to use them as the Lord is calling us to. Maybe you had the experience when you received your results where you said, well, I'm not sure I'm gifted in any of these areas, but I know I'm gifted somewhere. I need to go and talk to someone. I need to pray about this more. So this is kind of like the hidden gem. You're at the process of beginning to discern your spiritual gifts. You might not have a good sense or might not be able to see it now, but you trust that through prayer and receiving the Father's love, you will find out your gifts and you're going to seek the counsel of others to help you really uncover them. And then finally, we have individuals that are called to be wet clay in the potter's hands. Some of us actually need to reevaluate our thoughts and feelings and opinions of where we believe ourselves to be gifted and then begin to pray, study, and discern our true gifts. So maybe you received a result where you're like, I thought I was gifted in this area, but maybe not. As well, it's probably not going to be you, but others around you might be able to say, no, this is not actually your gift. You think you're gifted in this area, but they don't actually align. This is a good way, this euphemism of being wet clay in the potter's hands. It's a good way to put when maybe an individual has too much of an ego wrapped up into a ministry. They think they have a gift that they don't. And so there's an invitation there to put aside what one thought in the past in order to actually be able to receive the gifts that the Father wanted. So that's one avenue of thinking about this. But then also just some of us haven't had a proper understanding. It's not malicious or it's not ego-driven. We just need to reshape. We need to, as St. Paul said, transform our be renewed in our minds. Do not conform yourself to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. 
which is a great segue to actually begin discussing how to begin discernment. Where St. Paul begins in telling us in the opening verses of our meditation here, I'll read them once more. I, Paul, appeal to you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. If I was to paraphrase Paul, essentially, here's what he's saying. Offer yourself as a coachable individual, willing to have your thoughts, attitudes, and opinions, and ultimately your actions open to being changed. It's an invitation to let the Holy Spirit renew you by receiving the Father's love in the way that he wants to love you, and to live your life as Jesus would, imitating him the way that St. Paul continues to list out in the rest of the passages. Right, so in the spirit, as Jesus would, let your love be genuine. That's a spiritual component. When you love something, let it be genuine. Be a glow in the spirit. Have joy. Be driven by the spirit and then be constant in prayer. And then living out, imitating Jesus in the body. Loving one another. Choosing to love. Choosing to do good for another. Honor others serve and contribute to the needs of the saints of the faithful, and then practice hospitality. So in scripture, if you see the sections in my RSV Bible, one of the sections of this meditation is new life in Christ. And another one is true marks of Christian living. And so Paul lists out what is the new life in Christ looks like? And then what are the practices of a Christian? And so he lists what follows in this meditation as basic Christian practices. So we heard some of them just, but practice hospitality, serve, love one another, be constant in prayer. And these are what we must do and strive to live out in order to be called a Christian. And I'd like to share this story just as a reminder as we consider all of our spiritual gifts. That some of these are basic things that we all have to do, but some of us are going to be called to use them in extraordinary ways. So throughout this series that we've done here, Sherry Waddell, who is the co-founder of the Catherine of Siena Institute's name, has come up. But she's co-founded, continues to minister, and one of the foremost ministries that helps people discern their vocations and charisms. And she loves telling this story about living the Christian life. So she had one experience where a man took a gift inventory. And one of the counsels that she gives as people begin taking the inventory, hey, if you don't have this gift, go ahead and boldly and confidently mark zero. Because it's not that you're need to be afraid or ashamed that you're not gifted in that area. It's just going to allow you the freedom to find where you truly are gifted. So if you don't feel like you have the gift, go ahead, confidently mark a zero. So a man took the gift inventory and he took to heart that counsel of, hey, if you don't feel like you're gifted here, go ahead and mark a big zero and move on to the next question. 
He came back the next day with the biggest smile, and one of his friends, who knew he was not usually that joyous, said, Hey, what, what's going on? You're so happy today. And the man remarked, I got a zero on hospitality. I don't have to do that anymore. He missed the point of what it means to live a Christian life because we're all called to be hospitable, as St. Paul says. But some of us are going to do it in a greater and more extraordinary way. We all have to have the basic markers of Christian life and Christian practice. But having true charisms or spiritual gifts that will differ, we have to live these practices in proportion as St. Paul tells us to, which they are given. All of us are called to hospitality in some form or another, but some of us will be called to practice extraordinary hospitality. So when we hear extraordinary, we usually think spectacular. But if we just break it down to what that word means, outside the normal. Extra meaning outside the normal. Not more or less or special than another's gift. You just have been given a gift that's out of the normal, which God wants to use for the building up of the kingdom. As we begin to think also about how do we discern our gifts, we can think, let our love be genuine, hate what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Paul's inviting us to let the Holy Spirit love you and dispose yourself to his designs. Taking an inventory is not discernment. We can look to Paul's wisdom elsewhere when he says, test everything. It's important to keep in mind that this inventory that we published at Pentecost is a tool that enables a wide variety of people to identify a place to begin discerning their gifts in the shortest amount of time. It's an imperfect tool. Human beings wrote the questions. You may or may not have had difficulties in taking the inventory online or on paper, and it may not have been matched to your Christian experience. So your scores are reflective of many things, where you're at in your relationship with God. If you're new to the Christian faith, you might not have a lot of experience to draw on, or you might not have a robust relationship with our Lord yet. It is also reflective of the depth and breadth of your Christian experience, as well as your life experience. Again, if you're new, you might not have had an opportunity to put your gifts into practice. And so when you take this inventory, you're thinking, man, I'm not good at any of these things. I must not be gifted. No, it just speaks to, you might not have a lot of experience yet. Your own self-image and your own personality have also shaped your results. So that might be confirmation bias. I think I'm a gifted teacher. So if I recognize which questions correspond with teaching, I might be more likely to answer higher with a higher assessment of my teaching ability. As well as you might not actually enjoy answering questions about yourself. I can speak to this because someone very close to me struggled taking the inventory because this person did not like, does not like answering questions about themselves. But when I took the partner inventory, gave them their results. They really appreciated my unbiased look into their life. They struggled 
to look at the questions themselves, but I had no issue actually evaluating their life. So that might be as you as well, based on your self-image or your personality. You might be afraid to admit that you have a gift and you might uh, be afraid to actually dive into reflecting about where God is active in your life. And then finally, how you took the inventory, whether you were distracted, whether you were on your phone, whether you had full focus, as well as how you understood what the question was asking. They're imperfect questions. I know, I don't know if I have a particularly gift of question writing. So some of the questions might not have been worded or might have been confusing to you. So your scores are all reflective of these things. And so it's important to remember this is a place to begin. As we begin thinking too, it's important to know some of our highest scores can actually turn out to be a skill we've developed by our own work or situations. Scores can also come back high based on our own personal biases. So I'll speak to this a little bit personally because I'm currently discerning whether writing is one of my true spiritual gifts. I score almost evenly in writing and then the gift of knowledge. At face value, I've been told that I'm gifted at both, but my heart through prayer and discernment suggests that knowledge is a possible true gift of mine versus I'm still unsure about writing. Because when I think about employing the gift of knowledge in the building up of God's kingdom, I know it's completely outside of my control. So throughout my life, there's been numerous instances where I remember something or I know something that I have no business remembering or knowing. And it's been for the benefit of others, especially in the context of the faith. It's not something I sought after. It was just there. And then when I also consider learning, studying, employing and building on my gift of knowledge, I truly feel close to God when I study and when I put that to use in building up the kingdom. I find joy and fulfillment in a sense that coming to know things and studying can become almost in a sense a source of union with God. Writing, however, is something I enjoy doing and I have been told I can write to some spiritual effect, but I've always enjoyed writing and I've always jumped on opportunities to write. But as I reflect on it, writing doesn't always bring the same joy and fulfillment as when I can share knowledge. I also know that I'm not particularly good at grammar and precise writing, but in content, I am particularly good. So I'm less sure that I'm gifted with writing, knowing that it's just a skill that I've continued to work at and had some high functioning level throughout my academic career. But I don't know if I'm particularly gifted spiritually with that for ministry in the church. So as we move on to discuss the actual process of discerning one's gift, just leave you with this last bit of wisdom that St. Paul relates here. When he says, hold fast to what is good, hate what is evil. I at least want to invite us to broaden our understanding of what is evil in the classical understanding. So in classical understanding of evil, evil is not a thing. It's actually the absence of good. When something is evil, it means it's lacking good. 
So it's true to say we should hate evil things, as in, you know, evil acts, murder, avoid immoral things. But it, it can also broaden our understanding to when we are talking about our spiritual gifts, evil can mean the lesser goods that God's not inviting us to seek. So if we want to spend our time pursuing a gift that God is actually not giving us, or if we're wrapping up our ego into our gift, that's lacking some good. And so if we want to apply this counsel from St. Paul subjectively to what it means to discern our spiritual gifts, what we say is hold fast to what is good. We need to seek our true gifts and focus on using them for the building up of God's kingdom. And then hate what is evil. We need to let go of lesser goods, the gifts that we do not possess, or any of the thoughts or opinions or egos that we've wrapped up in associating with our gifts. Let go of those in order to say a true great yes to God and the gifts that he has given us. So these five steps of spiritual discernment that I'm listing here come from Sherry, Bo Sherry Waddell's book, Fruitful Discipleship. So there, her list, I kind of add uh, a little bit of our, our own flavor for this series as I relate them, but give her due credit of the steps that she's listed out here. The first step, we need to explore the possibility, which means we actually have to become acquainted with what we're talking about. So you can go to our website at stpeterlincoln.com. You can go and find our descriptions of the various spiritual gifts listed in our inventory and the biblical citation where you can go and see where's the gift talked about in sacred scripture. Pull out scripture and see the examples of the various gifts being put into use. You could buy a copy and read Fruitful Discipleship from Sherry Waddell. In this book, it's so good. But she discusses in detail the various spiritual gifts, the various charisms, and then groups them together to see how they kind of align similarly, and also identifies how they interact with each other. As we explore the possibilities, I just want to reinforce, be open and diligent in your learning. You're not going to know what gifts you have unless you really know what you're looking for. So explore the possibilities, come to study them, know what you're looking for. The next step then would be to experiment. Choose one possible gift of yours and experiment with it for a minimum of two hours of a week for at least six to eight weeks. As Master Yoda said, do or do not, there is no try. But we know, just in normal human experience, unless we put a possible gift to use in a sustained and personal manner for the benefit of others, we can't say whether we've been truly gifted or not. Unless you give it a good try, you can't say whether you're gifted. Right. So that means if you have the gift of writing, try out whether you have a gift of writing. So it might be possible that you have to write a lot for work and you might be very successful at it. But unless you've actually tried out writing to bring others to a deeper experience of God and an understanding of how he has created the human person, you can't really say whether you have a spiritual gift of writing. You might just be able to say, I can write good reports at work. 
And it's the same with singing. These are two fairly common ones that are quick to point to. But if you're a good singer and you haven't tried to put it to use for the spiritual benefit of others, can you really say whether you have the gift of vocal music leading people to encounter the Lord Jesus? Or are you just a good singer with natural ability? So whatever you think your possible gifts are, find a way to put them into use. Try it out. And don't be afraid if it doesn't bear fruit. We'll talk about that here in just a minute. But just be open to experimenting. After you've experienced, experimented, you need to evaluate your experience. Ask yourself in reflecting on your practice that I experience joy and fulfillment when I was using this gift. That I feel closer to God and others when using this gift. The test of a spiritual gift is what happens at the moment of using the gift, not the preparation, not the situation or the events beforehand or the cleanup in situations or events after. When you use your spiritual gift, there will be things leading up to them that might detract from the joy that you feel when using your gift or likewise afterwards. But when you put that gift into use, this is what you're looking for. Have you found your fit? When we use our spiritual gifts, we will find our fit because this is precisely what God is calling us to offer for his glory. No one can offer our gift like we can. God has made you uniquely you, and it might be overwhelming to think about, but it's so true. You have a specific gift to offer that I can't. And so when you use your gifts, you're going to find your fit and the way that God intends it. No one else can offer your gift like you can. When you use your gift, did you feel joy and satisfaction? God wants us to have a full life. Jesus comes and he says in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so when we use our gifts, we will be renewed. So we want to remember, don't confuse being good at something with being gifted. Some of us might be good administrators, but we might not be gifted administrators. I, for one, and think that's where I fall. Because of many years of personal discipline, diligence from my time in playing sports, my upbringing with the way that my parents raised me, and the jobs that I've had to do, I have to, I've had to become a good administrator. Otherwise, I would fail at my job. But when I look at my gift inventory, Administration actually falls towards the lower or middle end of my gift profile. I don't think I'm a particularly gifted administrator. I've just been had to become one based on my work. I can tell you I'll teach CCD all day, but if someone wanted to take over the administration of CCD, I'd gladly welcome that because I don't particularly find joy in administration. I'm a good one, but I'm not a gifted one. And then when we use our gifts, finally, the last question we must reflect on is, did I sense God's presence? When we use our gifts, in a sense, they become a pathway to find peace and union with God. So studying, singing, building a home, 
and the various ways that we put our gifts into use can become like a prayer, like a pathway for union with God. And it's the way that we share and receive God's love with ourselves and with others. So we reflect on those questions. After that, let's actually look at the fruit that's born. We ask ourselves, what is God doing through me putting my gifts into use? Because a gift does what it's intended to. By your fruits, playing off of our Lord's words in the Gospel of Matthew, you will know whether you're gifted in this area or not. Don't get discouraged when honest practice of a possible gift returns little to no fruit. When we come to find where we are not gifted, it gives us the freedom to explore and then put to use the gifts where we truly are gifted. Sometimes we have to say no to lesser things in order to say yes to truly great things. So don't be discouraged if you're not gifted in one particular area. All that does is free you up to go and explore where you truly are gifted. Be open, be detached from your ideas of a particular gift. Trust in God that when you find your gifts, you're gonna find your true fit and how God is inviting you. And then finally, the last thing to kind of confirm is expect and look for feedback from others. When we use our gifts, they become beams of life, light in which we shine forth Jesus Christ's love for the world. They're the ways that we let our light shine and become cities set on a hilltop. So the feedback that we receive can either occur directly or indirectly. Direct feedback is when someone identifies our gifts based on our thoughts, words, and actions, and then is able to put a name to it, letting us know that we might be particularly gifted or believes us to be gifted in this area. We probably don't have a robust enough culture here at St. Peter to have sustainable direct feedback, mainly because this is the beginning of this process. Amongst the group that has continued on in this series, we might be able to say, I think you might have this gift, but it's probably not going to be commonplace for our uh, entire parish culture yet. We're building that way. What we're probably going to need and more look for is indirect feedback. And this is when others ask for or acknowledge our gift without naming it specifically. So an example might be someone repeatedly asks you for prayers if you have the gift of intercession. Or maybe you have the gift of wisdom. And so people continually come to ask you for advice. If you pay attention, people will vote with their feet and their actions by asking you for your gift. When you're open to sharing your gift, God will give you ample opportunities to do so. And when we receive feedback, it's important that we don't filter out positive feedback. Sometimes we have a tendency to do this out of self-consciousness or false humility. Or maybe you're afraid to acknowledge a gift because you don't want to become prideful about it. Take heart and then trust that the Holy Spirit, if you approach with genuine love, 
and employing your gifts for the building up the kingdom. It's never going to be about pride. So you can receive this positive feedback because you know at the heart of your gift, it's not about you. So those are our five steps. We're going to become acquainted with the gifts. We're going to experiment with our possible gifts. We're evaluating our experience. We're evaluating then the effectiveness of our practice. What fruit is it bearing in the context of our community? And then we look for feedback from others. As we close, I just want to offer these few practical suggestions. The gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us for the building up of the kingdom are his remedy for burnout. You cannot burn out your spiritual gifts because every time you use them, you will be renewed. But you can be burnt out from the activities and situations that surround them. So as you come to discern, as you come to put these gifts into use, do not let the flame be extinguished because of the things that surround your gifts. Learn to take care for yourself. Learn to say yes when you're able to say yes. And learn to say no when you should say no. Create good fences around your gifts so that they're able to flourish in the best way possible. Next, it's important to remember that no gift is given to the majority. Our experience of our gifts, as well as other gifts, are always a minority experience. Some gifts are going to be present in about 20% of the faithful, whereas another gift might only be present in about 1% of the faithful. However, no gift is given to more than 50% of the faithful. So God needs a lot of people to be hospitable in his church. So it might be a gift that's more prevalent among the faithful, whereas the gift of tongues might be given to only a small percentage as God needs it. But no one, no parish, no church has 50% of its members or more that have the gift of service. You have a unique contribution to make to the church's missions. And so know that you have a part to play. It's a minority experience. You can't, we can't rely on another person to offer their gifts because there's not that many to go around. You have a contribution to make. Also know some of our greatest fears can be wrapped up in our greatest gifts. As scripture continually tells us, be not afraid to put them to use. I can speak on this because one of my higher scores is evangelism as well as pastoring. Is evangelism always comfortable or easy? No, it's not. Have I shied away from being an evangelist because of my own fears at times? Yes, I have. I've let fears get in the way of being an evangelist as well as being a pastor in context, mainly because it's super uncomfortable for me to get into somebody's business. But I know that 
when we're at our weakness, as St. Paul says, it can become the greatest source of strength. So I need to remove myself of my ego because in discernment and prayer, I do think that these are a possible gift of mine. Pick up my cross and follow after Jesus, being, will, being able, able and ready to put these gifts to use. Finally, don't get discouraged either from your own perceptions about your gifts or from others' perceptions that they relate to you. Don't rule out a gift just because of one try or some negative feedback. Look for greater patterns and focus on the fruit and your own experiences versus receiving negative feedback or having one bad experience over time. Realize also too that some gifts are more readily welcomed in a parish community and that some gifts are not. But this isn't reflective of the purpose or the usefulness of the gifts, but rather the culture of a community. Some typically welcomed gifts in a parish are administration, skilled craft, musical gift, hospitality, service, etc. Because these gifts often help get things done, maintain the ways that the things might always have been done, as well as add a good-looking face to the community. Some typically less welcome gifts are evangelism, teaching, faith, leadership, and intercession. Certain gifts like these can challenge the status quo and often focus to bring the activity of the parish outwards and bring new individual in. So you maybe have had this experience, hopefully not here at St. Peter, but where a parish seems to have a culture and identity, and then someone with the gift of evangelism comes in, or leadership that begins to take the parish in a different direction or invite new people in that change the identity of the parish. You might experience some parishioners becoming disgruntled. This is not who we are. This is not where we should be going. And so you can see where some of these gifts that cause us to go out and to bring new in might cause a challenge in the status quo and might not be as welcomed if we're not open and ready to receive where the Lord is inviting us. The last point that I'd like to meditate on is just as we begin to discern our gifts, what we're essentially beginning to do is discern our vocations. When people start discerning their gifts, they start discerning their vocations. And we would find and fulfill our vocation, we can take heart that it's the surest and shortest way to ultimate fulfillment here on earth and in the kingdom of heaven. And no, a vocation is just not for a priest or someone who is professing religious vows as a brother or sister. God has given each of us a vocation as well as a particular mission that only we can do. So if you want to think about how do we approach our vocation, we can think of it as a layered cake. The base layer of the cake is our universal call to holiness. The church tells us that all the baptized are called to make it to heaven by abiding in Jesus Christ here on earth. 
building his kingdom by living lives of holiness. Every baptized person is called to do that, to be holy, to live a life after imitation of Jesus Christ. And Jesus trains us to be other Christ in the next layer. So that's our primary vocation, priest, religious, and then the married life. This is the sacramental way we are given sanctifying graces to deepen our relationship with God and service towards one another. I think speaking as a married man, I know that my wife trains me to pick up my cross and follow Christ because I must die to myself in order to truly love her. So God gives us a primary vocation where he trains us to be another Christ through our life situations and service towards one another. Then we have our particular vocation within our primary vocations. So this is a specific of what God is inviting us to do for work in our families, in our ministry, and in, in our mission. These are never going to co contradict our primary vocation, but rather deepen our experience of it. They also allow us to use our spiritual gifts for God's good benefit. Within our particular vocations, God invites us to particular missions. These are what God is calling us to do at a particular time in our lives, whether that's a daily goal. Maybe it's during a month or a season or a year. God gives us a particular mission that only we can do. A lot of people can find anxiety about vocations, but I'm here to tell you it's never too late to find your vocation. Can we make mistakes or poor choices at times in our lives that take us away from finding and fulfilling our vocation? Yes. But even if you've done that, know that you're not defined by the sum of your sins or mistakes, but rather the Father's love for you as a beloved child of God. Only you can thwart God's purposes for your life. And only if you leave him or give up on him. Your story is never finished. If you abide in Christ, he will bring to completion the good work that he began in you. So even if you're coming to this, what you feel is late in the game, it's never too late to discern your vocation. You've probably already figured out some roles of it, but you're receiving this invitation to truly find how God is calling you to use the various gifts he has given you. And so we give God great praise for this new opportunity. To close, I would just like to read St. John Henry's Newman, St. John Henry Newman's Meditation on Vocations. begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God has created me to do him some definite service. He has committed some work to me, which he has not committed to another. I have my mission. I may never know it in this life, but I shall be told it in the next. I am a link in a chain, a bond of connection between persons. He has not created me for naught. I shall do good. I shall do his work. I shall be an angel of peace, a preacher of truth in my own place, while not intending it 
if I do if I do but keep his commandments. Therefore, I will trust him. Whatever I am, I can never be thrown away. If I am in sickness, my sickness may serve him. In perplexity, my perplexity may serve him. If I am in sorrow, my sorrow may serve him. He does nothing in vain. He knows what he is about. He may take away my friends. He may throw me among strangers. He may make me feel desolate, make my spirit sink, hide my future from me. Still, he knows what he is about. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you.